Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This absolutely beautiful bunch of people you're going to meet now. They're the Ukrainian Catholic congregation. They've come here to sing for us tonight. It cannot be easy for them to sing their prayer for Ukraine, but they're going to do it for us. So we uh, salute you for being here and we look forward to hearing your song in your own time. Thank you. You tell me, you tell me that that's not part of a corrupt, politicised uh, uh, authority that's been entirely infiltrated by the establishment. That you cannot wear a, a watermelon badge, which is a symbol of solidarity with the civilians in, in Gaza. But when Dana Ehrlich, the... Uh, Israeli ambassador to Ireland is platformed in RT, which is whenever she wants to I meet, mean, she obviously just rings them up and says, I want to come on. She wears her Israel badges. She wears, uh, they bring them home, hostage flowers on her lapel. But you see, but, yeah. No one's fucking asking, no, just stop. No one's fucking asking her to take that off. No, I know that. No, no just, one's fucking no. asking her to take, RT released the same. Say, oh, it's a policy in RT. We don't let people wear political emblems or flags or anything like that. You know, and here you are, right? Well, do you know why the difference you know, is, Joe? I would say that, that they're frightened of the consequences of one and they're not frightened of the consequences of the other. That's it. They wouldn't, you know, uh, you should be allowed, I would, you know, people wearing a Gaza badge or a, or a Gaza T-shirt should be allowed because you're absolutely right about what's happening there. And I think, I think, I think somebody... I wasn't I allowed. I think somebody wearing... I wasn't, I wasn't allowed no, to I call don't. the DUP homophobes whenever... Whenever these were all people responsible for yeah. the Sea of Ulster from sodomy campaign, I wasn't allowed to call them homophobes. I wasn't allowed to call them sectarian bigots. You know, when in fact but they I view that as a badge of honour. Elon Levi, Elon Levi. Last week, there was an eight-minute propaganda segment for him on RT's Prime Time. What do you have to say about Israel's targeting of journalists throughout this uh, this war? That is a false and libelous accusation. What is? If you take a look at the list 
provided by the Committee for the Protection of Journalists and do control F on your computer, you will find at least two dozen of them are listed as members of Hamas affiliated media. You cannot be a member of a prescribed terrorist organization and a journalist at the same time. They are Hamas content creators. But worse than that, we've already declassified evidence of so-called Al Jazeera journalists who are in fact military operatives in the military wing of Hamas. Mm -hmm. Not everyone who puts a press vest on is automatically a journalist. We are targeting Hamas terrorists. Okay. We are targeting so the, the hundred journalists who have been killed were Hamas terrorists. Is, is that what you're saying? And, and we do not target journalists. Obviously, operating in a war zone is a very dangerous business, okay. and that is why we have taken such measures to urge civilians to get out of harm's way, because we do not want them to be hurt in this war that Hamas launched and is trying to fight from under right. and behind civilian facilities. Elan Levy, we have to leave it there for this evening, and thank you for joining us. I very much respect Sarah McInerney as a journalist. I think she's a terrific journalist. I think she's doughty and courageous. And, and as independent as RT can allow you to be. Uh, but, I mean, he just, as he does, he comes on, he read his perverse propaganda script for eight minutes, which is an eternity in RT. Like, when we were doing the Sunday game, you say, like, OK, guys, look, we've got five minutes here, spread it around, then we're going to the break again. You know, eight minutes is an eternity. Elon Levi, right? Israel's Goebbels, he's called. He's a Londoner. I want to come around to this born to wealthy parents, privately educated at UCS private school in Hampstead. Do you know how much the fees are there? 25,000 sterling a year. He's Oxford, Cambridge. So you've got him, you've got Mark Regeff, for example, who was born in Melbourne, Australia. Mark Freeberg, when he was 22, he emigrated to Australia, to Israel to get stuck in. He usually joined the ADF. And they just go out there then these people from all over Europe and America, we see this with the settlers, for example, and like, it's just open season. They can do whatever the fuck they like, the Palestinians. They can shoot them in the face on the footpath. You know, there you go, grand. They can dance on their corpses. And Levi, you know, I want to talk a bit about him because of the platform that RT continuously give him. He is a corruption of all the things that make us human, you know. His triumph, his relish at the mass murder of human beings, destruction of their hospitals, their universities, their schools, their holy places, their homes and lives. You know, and he is a war criminal who must be tracked down, arrested and prosecuted. You know, Dana Ehrlich, did you hear her on last week talking about that child, the, the small child in Palestine who made the emergency call from the car where her entire family had been murdered by the IDF? No. Calling for help. And the, the the Red Crescent Ambulance. Well, she was on RTE talking about this. Uh, Israel Defence Forces had killed the child's family. She rang at a distress yeah. call. It was picked up by the Palestinian Red Crescent, their sort of Red Cross. They, sent, they dispatched an ambulance to a kill zone to try to rescue this child whose entire family had been murdered around her. The ambulance was attacked. The two ambulance men were murdered and the child was murdered and she was found three or four days later. And this is what Dana Ehrlich said when she was in RT. And I have to say, I don't know if it's, it's a mixture of rage and just like impotence at, at this. There was a six-year-old girl um, who was found dead at the weekend, Hind Rajab, and she was in a car with her family. They were fleeing Gaza City and... 
she was on the phone. She was the last surviving member of her family in the car. She was on the phone to emergency services. The Red Crescent sent an ambulance out to her. At the weekend, that girl was found dead in the car, as were the paramedics. Does that constitute a war crime? I heard about this tragic case. I don't know what exactly happened there. But we've seen how Hamas take over ambulances. We've seen how they embed themselves in the hospital. So and is it OK to strike an ambulance then if that's what happened? Well, according to international law, when on that ambulance there are terrorists or if they're on the way to perform an attack, again... Well, they were by, on the way to rescue the six-year-old girl. We don't have all the information. And she what was I recorded in you, a conversation Again, we don't know all of the information. What I ask you, I understand the criticism against Israel. I acknowledge that. But every time you criticise Israel, Ask, why are we in this situation, this tragic war, this tragic reality that the people in Gaza are living under? Why are they living like this? Who is responsible for that? The infrastructure of the terror tunnels underneath Gaza. I don't hear a lot of coverage for that here, but we need to talk about it, how they embedded the hospitals and compromised all of the health system in Gaza. My heart breaks for the children of Gaza at what Hamas is doing to them. You know, she was wearing her Israel badges and her bring, their, bring them home flowers and her lapel. These are the hostage, hostages that Netanyahu has refused the deal to allow them to be repatriated with their families or reunited with their families. And let me make it clear, holding the hostages is a disgrace and a front to humanity. And those hostages should all be returned. But this idea, you know, that Israel targeted those targets ambulances only when Hamas is using them as cover. You know, so let's just look at that. Two Hamas operatives, for some unknown reason, unarmed, got in an ambulance and drove out to rescue this child in a kill zone, put their lives in danger and were in fact murdered by them. You know, and don't give me any of this anti-Semitic shit. You know, anti-Semitism. Is for nut jobs. You know, these people who go around denying the Holocaust, the worst thing that ever happened to human beings in the history of humanity, you know, with vast, vast amounts of forensic evidence, you know. So, you know, anti-Semitism is for nut jobs like that and even nut jobs hanging around O'Connell Street talking about, oh, Jews are trying to replace us with the blacks. They're sending in the blacks and the agents to have sex with our white women and it's the Jews who are behind it all in the World Bank, you know. You know, this idea that Irish people uh, do not like Jewish people because they're Jews, what a load of shit. Don't give that to me. You know, I will not accept it. But this, this thing that we see with Ortini, allowing these people on who are intoxicated, gleefully enjoying the supremacy and the violence, you know. I mean... This week, I don't know if you saw it, there was a big rave in Israel where IDF soldiers were dancing on stage, reveling in the genocide in Gaza. And the, uh, and, and, and the DJ who was with them kept cheering it on and talking about the number of dead Palestinians. So is your contention that they shouldn't? And and they go they go out there they go out there they go out there, and then we platform them. I mean, I was a student. I was a student in Trinity of Kader Asmal 
I studied international human rights law at Trinity College under him, you know, as a an idealistic young man uh, coming up through the troubles, determined to 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 fight towards the ideals of equality and and peace in the world, and 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 that there, and that no one was to be treated as lesser than anyone else, regardless of their color or their religion or their their nationality, you know. Asmal was one of the most distinguished international human rights jurists in the world. You know, he was the founder of the Irish anti-apartheid movement. You know, he 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 was a volunteer in the ANC. He helped the ANC to find IRA volunteers to go over there and train them and teach them how to make bombs and things like that. You know, and when he was in London, he started the British anti-apartheid movement. He came to Trinity College as one of the most distinguished international human rights jurists in the world. He held, after that, after after I had the privilege of, of being one of his students, he held various ministerial posts in South Africa's unity government, you know. And so I can tell you, in my forensic opinion, these people, Dana Ehrlich, Mark Regev, um, Elon Levi, there is a plausible case that they are probably guilty of conspiracy to commit genocide, aiding and abetting genocide, cheerleading genocide. You know, and we, RT, our national broadcast, platforms them. Well, I don't think I, we don't know that. They, I would suggest that RT probably contact them rather than saying we want to come on. And I think there is, if you're talking about, if you're. But if you, so you're worse. saying you shouldn't Even have worse. you shouldn't have anyone. Even worse, and they and the, and the only thing about it is this: apart from the fact that apart from the fact that the International Court of Justice have said that it's a plausible case of genocide, and we all know that it's genocide. Obviously, there are legal, there are. I mean, on on, on a majority of fifteen to one, the International Court of Justice has said there's a plausible case of genocide. Laid down six orders to Israel, all of which are being ignored, including do not murder civilians. You know, and like. President of Israel, Isaac Herzog, he's another one. He's going around saying, shame on Ireland. Ireland is an anti-Semitic, it's a foul anti-Semitic place. What we've gone through, what Israel has gone through is real genocide. This is real perpetrated genocide. What we are doing is we're alerting people, some of many of the Palestinian casualties, unfortunately, and it tears my heart, were killed by Hamas, by Hamas fire. And you guys are not really always facing the truth. It's very difficult to admit. But one has to know the truth. These missiles fell from Gaza on Gazans, and people sure. know it. His father, Chaim Herzog, was also the president of Israel. And, you know, he was born in Belfast, raised in Dublin. His dad was Ireland's chief rabbi, Yitzhak Halevi Herzog. And they went to Israel when the state of Israel was established and they fought in the Arab-Israeli war, later became a general in the IDF, you know. And it's typical of the transformation of people who leave Europe or America and go to Israel. You know, in his case, he went from rabbi to rabbit. And it's the typical transformation, this gleeful supremacy, you know, that the, the enjoyment they have in this apartment, apartheid, this, this like glorious life in Tel Aviv of, 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 of swimming on the beach and, you know, cafes and nightlife and normal life. And then you look across, you look across the fortifications into Gaza, starvation, obliteration, a million people living in tents, you know, 
And, you know, his, whenever, uh, whenever President Herzog's dad was Israel's representative at the United Nations, he had a tantrum on the floor of the United Nations when the United Nations General Assembly uh, voted through a resolution that Zionism was racism. You know that it was that it was a, 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 a it was in itself structurally racist and a culture of apartheid. Um, and then later, whenever he became the president, so this is the current president of Israel's son, who hasn't a good word to say about Ireland. You know, because of course we're a problem because there's too many people here telling the truth. Uh, four members of the Jewish underground who were going around murdering Palestinians, they, had, they were sentenced to life imprisonment in 1984 for, for murdering four Palestinians in the West Bank town of Hebron. Right. And as soon as he became president, he released them. You know, and Herzog Park in Rathgar is named after him. Lovely. How nice. We'll be a long time waiting for Martin McGuinness Crescent or Jerry Adams Boulevard, I would think, in the mm. south. Um, but the you know the Russian ambassador remain was was always on RT during uh, during you know the, the, like the war in Ukraine. There was a famous interview with David McCullough where he uh, he he you know he he kind of called him out. So like I think you know the idea that you wouldn't you like platforming. The Russians haven't killed the Russians well, the, haven't killed Russians thirty thousand civilians in Ukraine. They haven't killed they haven't yeah. killed thirteen thousand children. On the last count, five hundred and twenty-three children have died in Ukraine. Russia Russia 13, are engaged th- in a genocide. Thirteen thousand. Putin Putin doesn't doesn't acknowledge the existence of you know the, the right of Ukraine to exist. Like he is he is like he doesn't he is he is as as adamant about that as anything. So like. I, I, you know what I have no problems with that whatsoever you know, and I have no problems with us standing with Ukraine and supporting the people of Ukraine and taking you know people from Ukraine coming out of a war zone here in the country delighted to have them I mean in, 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 in the parish where my wife lives in Oakmore we have over 250 Ukrainians and they've, they've been a vibrant part of life here. They were involved with the GAA club. You know, it was a wee Ukrainian team that won the lip sync tournament here, the lip sync competition at the club. No, I have no problem with that. We should be supporting them and giving um, them all our support. You know, but unlike Bono, unlike Bono and unlike RTE, you know, I stand with the people of Palestine and I can point out the very obvious, horrific genocide that's occurring that is a hundred times worse than what's happening in Ukraine, which is a military battle between two roughly equal military forces, navies, military, air force, heavily armed by the US, by Europe. You know, meanwhile in Gaza, you have guys with bandanas, you know, uh, 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 Molotov cocktails, you know, scooters, bicycles, hiding in tunnels, hoping for the best, using RPG-7s now and again if they can get their hands on them. You know, you know. so there can be no comparison between what's going on. You know, what we are seeing is undoubtedly a horrific mass murder of a defenseless population. And in those circumstances, RTE should not be platforming the apologists for genocide. So- you see, I, the thing I, I, I find about that is, and 
the, when you talk, go back to the 1970s and you look at the reasons for bringing in censorship and your reasons for bringing in Section 31 are for, for broadening the directive of Section 31, it was because people believed, whether you like it or not, that the, the provisional IRA, as the Supreme Court stated in 1982, that... Uh, there was a terrorist organization which was dedicated to overthrowing the state by force. So, yeah, they're terrorists. Yeah, they're the terrorists point, until they win, the, and then they're, but the then point, they're glorious the point, people. It's like the ANC. I mean, Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela was a hit figure. He was banned from appearing in most countries. He was. He was. He was a terrorist. The ANC were terrorists, and now, well, you know, even Bono, but, even Bono hugged Nelson Mandela. But the Nelson, you know, it's. You're one of the greatest men in the world. You know, I love South Africa. Can I do 10 concerts here? You know, and look, Nelson Mandela, just just bear with me. Nelson Mandela on an open top bus being taken around the streets of Dublin in triumph as hundreds of thousands of people and the political establishment falling over each other to get congratulating them. They weren't talking about all the murders and the bombings and the slitting throats of white police officers, and the massacres of white people. No, he was a heroic freedom fighter, just like Michael Collins was. I mean, Shane Ross this week said, right, and I don't often quote Shane Ross, he said the RT authority needs to be entirely disbanded. Now, he's saying it for very different reasons than I think that, you know. But Irish politics, I hope, is about to be disbanded and recast. You know, because we can't keep going down this neoliberal route that we're going down where people can't afford housing. You know, people are living in sort of permanent, just about heads above water conditions. You know, a lot of our kids are going abroad, you know. And, you know, we need to have honest discourse. We need to have an honest, unpropagandistic discourse from our national broadcaster. I mean, a, a good example, I think, is how already the uh, the uh, debate around Sinn Féin's success and becoming First Minister and a new storm and all of that is being cast. You know, and I said, I think a few weeks ago, that it, it, it's, it's almost being portrayed as a defeat, you know, with the establishment in the South, which I suppose it is in a way for Fine Gael, Fine Foyle, etc. That's how it's been discussed on the chat shows and on RT primetime, etc. I mean, the founder member of the DUP is a guy called Wallace Thompson. Right. He said recently, a new Ireland's inevitable. You know, there will be a United Ireland. We need to start having that conversation. Unionism, he says, was always in many ways doomed. And a new Ireland is now inevitable. And we're at the stage where DUP founding members are talking about Irish unity more than the Irish establishment. Michal Martin, oh, it's unhelpful for Sinn Féin to be talking about a border poll. Oh, it's, 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 uh, you know, and a United Ireland was a good enough idea when Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael were going to run things. But now that Sinn Féin have come along, it's time to apply the brakes. You know, and we see this. Yeah, I see. I, I it's, kind, it's counterproductive. See, I, when we go, back to, the, we go back to the Michelle O'Neill interview, I think, and you can, I see, I don't think there's any comparison between the context of Michelle O'Neill coming on now and Jerry Adams going on The Late Late Show uh, with Gay Byrne at that time, you know. No, but 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 it's it's, it's, the almost, end of the it's all it's, just, it's all it's, it's almost the, it was the finale. Michelle O'Neill's just the finale to any resistance movement. Because if movement. you look at like 
the 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 organizing principle the reason for the the, the IRA the IRA was driven by a a a, need, a desire for unity and for for a united Ireland on the basis of the will of the people of the entirety of the island it is now Michelle O'Neill, everybody accepts that it will be it will be decided by the will of the people of Northern Ireland, which in 1972 or 1974 or 1978 would have been uh, you would have been would you would you or would you not have been thrown out of the movement for saying let's leave? Would you or would you not have been thrown out of the and movement for suggesting? Would you, Joe? Would you have been thrown out of the movement? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you, would, I you think you think if you stood up and said, lads, let's let's leave was... it to the people of Northern Ireland to decide this. It'd be okay, you know. It's, it's, well, no, but it's, it's a bullshit okay, but, because you know. I mean, as Bernadette Devlin, as Bernadette Devlin always pr- correctly cast the North, you know, because the North had oppression from the moment it was founded, you know, and very, very severe oppression, and apartheid, you know. So from nineteen twenty-one, obviously, what happened, obviously, with the 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 Education Act, which changed everything, which allowed Catholics mm. then to get into third-level education. So up until then, it was only the wealthy that could afford it. And so you had the Bernadette Devons and Eamon McCanns, you know, uh, you know, you had you had the Seamus Deans, mm. people like that, you know, the great sort of poetic movement, the great literary revival of the North, all of that, people becoming world-renowned figures like John Hume, etc., you know, leading the civil rights movement. And then they're battened off the streets. And then within a few years, you know, you've got your bloody Sunday internment, all of those things that the British used to do just as normal as part of their empire building, you know, um, you had the backlash. As Bernadette Devon says, well, look, if you punch somebody in the face, they're going to. In the market for investment worthy bags, watches and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Punchback. And the IRA, the IRA, to begin with, was nothing more sophisticated than that. It was... As 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 uh, Raymond McCartney, one of the first hunger strikers, describes it, you know, a scholarship boy for some college college, 
you know, on his way to a very good education, on his way to Queen's University, first member of the family to do that. And then Bloody Sunday. And the next morning, he, along with hundreds of other young men, were queuing around the block to get into a wee council house to take their oath to the IRA. There was nothing more sophisticated than that. And so, you know, what we see with Michelle O'Neill is just the culmination of a movement. You know, that's it's just exactly it, what happened in the Yeah, it may... You know, there's no surprise. You know, my, 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 my complaint about this is, you know, that we continue, we continue to have, you know, a dishonest situation in in RTE in relation to this. We see it in relation to how they how they respond, how they essentially give cover to the establishment. I mean there's a book there's a book that's just been published by Padre O'Rourke. I don't know if you've read it, The Disappeared. Forced mm. Disappearances in Ireland, seventeen ninety eight to nineteen ninety eight. Now you'll hear Neil Martin uh, particularly and, and other establishment figures talking about, you know, mm. the disappeared in the North during the Troubles, okay? You know, and uh, those atrocious acts of murder, you know, of, of women sometimes, men, and then taking them and burying them in bogs. And, you know, some people have never been found. And at, uh, it's a desperate, desperate, desperate situation. And uh, I mean, I know that um, friends of mine, they, 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 they are in that mm. position in relation to their son. And, I mean, I don't know how people can cope with that. It's horrific. They, uh, the book, The Disappeared, it, uh, it sets out very statistically, very forensic, The Disappeared. And 19 people were forcibly, he describes them as forced disappearances uh, in, in the North, in, that, in the Troubles in the North. So say from about 1970, 71 until about a year or two before the peace process. Okay, so he had 19 people. Do you know how many people were disappeared uh, by the IRA, the good old IRA, during the War of Independence? You're going to tell me. Brit hmm. 100. And yet, you know, the way the way it's portrayed is, though, is as though, well, look, the old IRA were very glorious and heroic. And, and this is why I, I, I disagree completely with you. When you say, ah, look, you know, the way the media approached this was not that No, important. I didn't say that. It's massively important. I mean, you can, you, can, you can, for example, how Fox Media have created this myth around Trump of a, of a triumphant figure, a winner. No, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't say, I didn't say that. What I, what I, what I said how, was how, that, how, uh, that the IRA campaign, that the, the, the increasing... Uh, brutality of their violence um, had a huge difference in, in 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 affecting public sympathy in the south towards the IRA, and that you know if you if you chart it from the start of the troubles to Bloody Sunday, and then you move on through the seventies and and you know the sectarian killings, uh, you know, and because because the the IRA were doing it in the name of Irish nationalism, it obviously had it had more it it it, it people felt a more visceral. Discuss that. It. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't. You couldn't. You could never argue. And this is the whole point. You could never argue that it doesn't have an impact because that's the whole. It would. If it wouldn't be done if it didn't have an impact. And what I will agree with you on is I think what it did as well is that it made all. It made people allergic to all voices, to all voices in the nationalist community because you know that was the thing, and. Uh, and I would say I was guilty of that as as a as a listener and as a 
you know, as a young person growing up, this sort of prejudice that, you know, these might be sneaking regarders or these might be people coming from the same movement. That's what it, that's, yeah. that's the insidious thing as well from some, you know, from my point of view about it, that it actually wasn't just about, and I would, you know, and I could see the idea that it's the, you know, the, the provosts were intent on, you know, there was a, there's a desire to overthrow the state. You could, you could make a justifiable argument from that point of view that there was propaganda here at stake that you, you wanted to kind of control. But it, it then spread out. And you see, it, you see it in RT. You see it in the things that happened, like the, uh, the O'Toole versus RT case. Larry O'Toole, who was uh, a Sinn Féin member, and he was barred by RTE from spe being, speaking uh, in his role as a trade union official because he, he was a spokesperson for a strike uh, for, and for a trade union. And RTE, um, uh, RTE wouldn't allow him to go on air, even though he wasn't speaking in his capacity as a Sinn Féin member. Now, they were actually, uh, the Supreme Court um, found that they were actually, you know, that, that, that you know, Back the back the case against them there because they said this is not what it was designed for. But again, all those that the, the tentacles of it spread out so many ways that I do think it uh, it affected. And and this is, I I'm not saying it didn't. I think the biggest factor was the campaign of of terrorism, but the, it did affect how people viewed all voices coming from the nationalist community in the north. And I I don't I don't doubt that. Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not sure that that's right. When you've got a situation where the national broadcaster is is clamping down on a group of women coming to sing to to peacefully show some solidarity with uh, the, the, the 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 people of Palestine, you know, and they're being told before out in the dressing room, get those off. You can't go on stage with those. You know. And RT's independence has been completely destroyed. All their voices have disappeared. You know, the money, like the political establishment, has been drained to the top with a small number of people earning lavishly while the rest suffer. And basically, you know, RT has become enthralled to the establishment. I mean, you look at you look at their secretive barter accounts. They spent one hundred and thirty-eight thousand on ten-year IRFU tickets, not for GA tickets, for IRFU, because that's your golden circle up there. You know, 111,000 on Rugby World Cup tickets for clients in 2019. 26,000 on Champions League tickets, you know. A slush fund of 1.25 million. And their CFO, who's now too unwell to come back, admitting to the pack that, quote, the taxpayer may well have been defrauded. And you've got this endemic corruption there where, where uh, there must now be a proper, proper clear-up. Um, I mean, it was amazing to see um, Rich or Backhurst last week, you know, who'd promised to sort of clean the thing out, being asked about, well, what was the exit package mm. for Brito O'Keefe? And he said, well, I can't, that's commercially sensitive. It was a non-disclosure way, commercially sensitive. You know, and Alan Dillon, who I thought was, you know, very, very good, you know, very forensic. And he, he has been very good, very, very clever fellow, you know. Someday he will be Taoiseach. Some, sorry, someday he will be a Sinn Féin. How is that going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> since, since, 
since that is the future. Well, I mean, God, I feel believe, yeah, I think, I th- I th- um, we shall consider I think his the application the Joe in an early course. But, Joe but the I mean, but the point I was going to make was <laughs> he he said to him, "Well, look, tell us what what uh, her package was." And he says, "Well, I can't. It's commercially sent." No, he gave him a stern look. Tell us what her package was, and he says, "Oh, okay, four hundred twenty thousand euro." <laughs> and the thought struck me that Backhurst would not have lasted long under well, interrogation. That's, you say, no, it was my wife. It was my wife who did it. No, it was, it was my mother. Those, my mother. It was my mother. Um, like... But look, you see, I think that this is a key point. Like that that, <laughs> that, that uh, package, again, has catapulted the story into the sort of public consciousness and people are talking about it again the way they did when the barter account revelations were made. And again, you come to this situation. Like you have this amazing, this this total reluctance you know you, you saw with Rory the Rory Coveney thing that the, the, you know he got his a year's salary I think and you have this total reluctance on RTE to kind of to volunteer or to be open or to be anything but everything is commercially everything is commercially sensitive everything we can't talk about that and you know they had the Grant Thornton report which initially <laughs> amazing for a media organization they initially anonymized so every, everyone mentioned it, it was anonymous uh, and and so nobody was named, and now they actually I mean, they, see because because the little people, we're all the little people. But it is an extraordinary we're, we're joke. Them. They 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 run they run RT. You know they 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 are they are superior. But it's an extraordinary beings to us. You know, and we and we will we will be treated accordingly. I mean, I I I I um, will genuinely never forget how. Representatives of the northern community used to be used to be interviewed down there. But can we finish with this, Dion? I have uh, we have found a very rare un. It was it was actually unpublished. It wasn't ever broadcast. A very rare special interview uh, of Jerry Adams by Gayburn, and uh, and we'll we'll finish. Okay, I wasn't finished. We'll finish with that and. Uh, <laughs> no, oh, sorry. Fine. It's fine, but I was I I I had loads more to say about RTE, and I because what I wanted to say was that I think when we talk, like one of the key things about this issue is that you know it isn't just about RTE. This is a central thing to do with the media in Ireland, and it spreads. RTE takes up so much space commercially; it takes a license fee, and there, the lack of urgency from the government in actually changing this is huge because you look at, you know, there are more people, the recent radio listenership figures came out and I think more people are now listening to Bauer Media than they are to RTE. Now, I would have a, there is, I I wonder about those figures in general because the the readership, the radio listenership figures are commissioned by the radio industry. There's an article in the Irish Examiner about this recently. Uh, They are a survey um, you know, which is a ridiculous state of affairs for something in 2024 when, you know, we know, for example, every place where people are listening to our podcast, you get the data and all this. And this is a survey asking people what they listen to. But the media is facing like there's, there was an article in The New Yorker recently talking about an extinction event that the news media is facing, like the number of jobs have been lost in American media, the number of jobs that are being lost here. Um, it, it's it's chronic. It is we are re- reaching. As somebody said in the in that New Yorker piece, we are reaching the end of the mass media age. 
the end of the mass media era. And yet RTE here is taking commercial revenue, is taking a license fee, which more, more and more people aren't paying. And it isn't just, this is the thing people keep talking about as the future of RTE. This is to do with the future of media. And you can stop hiding behind this idea of public service broadcasting. The best public service broadcasting are as good as anything. And this goes back to your point about RTE and how it has changed. You know, you look at things like, say, Donald Fallon and his podcast, Three Castles Burning. You look at Second Captains. You look at lots of things, a David McWilliams podcast. There's lots of things that you would consider actual public service broadcasting that has been done by people who aren't (laughs) receiving anything from the license fee to get it. And until they actually, they need to drop the commercial revenue, take that out of, uh, take that off RTE's remit, let them survive, maybe directly fund it, let them survive uh, like that and change the whole and try and actually influence and and reconfigure the entirety of media in this country because that's what needs to happen. And now, Joe, we can end with. Uh... No, no, no. I I agree with that. And I mean, you know, and the whole the whole thing's been so completely corrupted. I mean, one of the things that illustrates that you know uh, establishment takeover of RT is the false freelancers. So that what they did was people who were employees in every legal sense were were given contracts to say they were freelance with no benefits. You know, essentially zero hour contracts, but but you're not an employee. And uh, Kevin Backhurst said at the pack last week that he, he estimates that RT now owes a minimum of 15 million euro in evaded tax on those false freelance contracts. You know, and that's that's what a cesspit it has become. Unless you were in the top brass, your employment was insecure. You know, you were treated extremely poorly. It didn't matter how long you'd been there, you know. And and then in contrast, you know, it was revealed at the pack last week that during D Forbes's leadership, you know, who, you know, to paraphrase um, the, the ex-Scottish First Minister when she was talking about Boris Johnson, you know, D Forbes, who's, who's as useful <laughs> as, as a marzipan dildo, 2.6 million euro in golden handshakes was quietly paid out to the top brass. We look after each other. Look, we'll keep things tight. We won't say a word about the slush fund. You know, we'll just do we'll do what we're doing. We have plenty of political cover here anyway. Our tentacles are all through the establishment. And uh on every and everything everything will be fine. And this is how we this is how we can treat people and treat the Irish public. And now we'll end with that interview. Ah, never mind that. Uh, yeah, seeing as it's you, I brought along the guitar, so I did. Hope you don't mind. There you are. I know. I don't normally, don't normally do this, but here, especially for you. got that mastered yet. Hold on, you know this. Hold on a second.
being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.